Well, did I ever tell you about the time where I almost blew up our family Ford Pinto right before I almost blinded my friend with a bottle rocket? I haven't told that story. <laughs> well, I was at junior high at the time, and we lived out in the country. And my father had driven me into town to pick up my friend Steve so that Steve and I could go hang out and, and have some fun. And so we drove into town in our wonderful Ford Pinto. We uh, picked up Steve, woohoo, and uh, picked up Steve. And then on the way back, we stopped at a gas station. Because we lived on the farm, we had to transport gas out there. And my dad had bought these had had these big old gas cans, those big metal ones, those big five-gallon versions. And we had two of those in the back of our, of our Ford Pinto. Um, and so we stop at the gas station. My dad gets out. He's filling up these two big five-gallon cans of gasoline. And my friend Steve and I, we go into the gas station to buy some lighters, <laughs> to buy some lighters. And we come back. We get into the back seat. My dad had put the, the, the gas all in. And what do you think two junior hires who had just bought lighters started to do about five minutes into our journey home? We started to do this in the back seat. How many of you have ever been in the back seat of Ford Pinto? They're hatchbacks, right? How close were we to those 10 gallons of gasoline? We were, it was right here, you know. And I remember my dad looking up in the rearview mirror and uh, had some choice words uh, for us, <laughs> letting us know that this wasn't a wise choice that we were making. Now, did my father put a stop to us lighting our lighters in a Pinto filled with gasoline because he was anti-fun? No, that, that wasn't it at all. Um, he was wise enough to know that if we wanted to get to our desired destination we would have to practice a little delayed satisfaction, right? I'd like to report that that was the full extent of my short-sighted knuckle-headedness, but alas, there was more to come yet that same day. The reason that we had bought the lighters in the first place was because of this great idea that, that I had. Um, this event that Steve and I had been planning for, you know, like two days or something, which for us was an eternity, Right. But we had been planning this big event because we, the, the farm I grew up on was this really unique piece of property. And we had the, the barn and all the buildings, but we had these woods, these great woods, like eight acres of these beautiful woods with a valley run through it. And, and we had built this cabin while well, my dad had built this cabin on the, the, out in the middle of it. And there was this bridge going across. And it was a perfect place to play paintball. The only thing was paintball wasn't a thing yet. You know, and so we came up with what we thought was a great idea, and that was to have a bottle rocket fight. <laughs> oh, this was going to be epic, right? So we had all these plastic tubes that were about as long as a rifle, and I thought, these are going to be perfect. You can put the bottle rockets in there, and we can shoot bottle rockets at each other. This is going to be so much fun. Well, I probably should have ran that one by my dad, too. Because we found out that day that bottle rocket fun fights are fun until they aren't. And the aren't came when I shot a bottle rocket at Steve and it blew up right by his temple. And he was blinded. And we didn't know if he was going to get unblind. All we knew was this is really bad. Well, after a little while, his sight came back, and we were like, and we decided, let's go do something else besides have bottle rocket fights. It took a lot of years before my eyes got opened 
to this reality, and there's a place, if you want to take out your green um, note insert and write this down, our desires go deeper than we think. Our desires go deeper than we think. I thought what I wanted to do, I thought what I wanted to do was to light my lighter in the back of the Pinto. But I had a deeper desire, and that was to make it home without dying, right? And I thought what I wanted to do was to have a bottle rocket fight with my friends. But I had a deeper desire, and that was to not blind Steve. We give in to lower-level desires all the time, don't we? All the time. Classic example, you see it in Target constantly, right? With the, the, the parent says no to the two-year-old, and the two-year-old just throws a tantrum because they want the thing that parents said no to in Target. So what, what is the lower-level desire on the part of the kid? Is, I want this thing now! What is the lower-level desire on the part of the parent? To end the tantrum. Why do wise parents stand strong in those moments? Because they know giving in to that tantrum is worse down the road than standing strong and saying no for all kinds of reasons. There are countless examples of the same thing in the realm of relationships. There are friend groups that we think we want to be a part of, especially in our younger years. We think this is the group of friends that I want, but we don't stop to reflect at a deeper level to say, are those friends the kind of friends that are going to really take me where I want to go? And then the same thing is certainly true. There's, there's so many people that have a longing, such a deep longing for a boyfriend or a girlfriend or to get married, and we don't often stop to think of whether or not that person that we think we want to be in a relationship with is really going to help bring us to the place we want to go when it comes to those deeper longings that we have. There's countless examples, too, from the realms of success and accomplishment. So many of us are driven to shine in our careers or to shine in the things that we're doing, the activities that we have. And we're driven to achieve a certain status or award or recognition. But relative few people really stop to say, this thing that is driving me so hard, do I even have the ladder on the right wall that I'm you know, climbing up so fast. This Lent, what we're trying to do as best we can with the time that we have is to really press in. What does it mean to authentically follow Jesus? What does that look like? To really follow him. And one of the things that Jesus did continually, he took people deeper, didn't he? He took them deeper. They would come to Jesus with a question or something like that. And often he would fire back with another question or something that would take them deeper deeper. Let's look at an example of that. If you have your Bibles with you, let's open up to Mark chapter 10. We're going to look today at verses 17 through 31. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to go home with one free today. We keep a stack of those at the table there in the back. Please take one as a gift to you. All right, let's look at this example about going deeper. Now, this is the book of Mark. In Mark chapter 1, right away, we have Jesus extending an invitation, follow me. Follow me, he says. And as people are following Jesus, we, we, we continue through these chapters to get these fresh insights, chapter after chapter after chapter, about what this looks like. Here's another one of these examples of what it means to really follow him, when, and, and part of that is him taking us deeper. All right, so Mark chapter 10, let's start with verse 17. And as Jesus was setting on his journey, a man ran up 
and knelt before Jesus and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this account that we're reading here in Mark also appears in Matthew. It also appears in Luke. In Matthew's account, we find out that this man was young. In Luke's account, we find out that he was a ruler. So if you've ever heard this passage of Scripture referred to as the story about the rich, young ruler, that's where that composite profile comes from, from all three of those gospel accounts. Well, in that time and in that place, if you're a rich, young ruler... You've got the option. You get to choose your teacher. That was interesting as I was doing my research this week. If you had the means back in that day, you didn't have a teacher usually choose you. You would normally choose your teacher and you would pay them for their service. But instead of addressing Jesus in this entitled, condescending, hey, let me see your uh, resume kind of way, this young ruler, he runs up He kneels before Jesus, and then he refers to him as a good teacher. All of these are signs of respect. And whether that was empty flattery, as some believe, or sincere reverence, as others believe, the rich young ruler had a question for Jesus. What was the question? He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, many of us, if you grew up in going to Sunday school, when you hear those words, oh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We think this guy was saying, what must I do so that when I die, I get to heaven? It was fascinating doing the research this week, too, because they said that is unlikely how simple this was. The Greek word that's translated here in our, in our English Bible and translation as eternal, it really means belonging to the age. Many first century Jews believed that something would happen that would make everything different. And we looked at that in Joel, in that series right before this one, right? There was a day of the Lord that so many were referring to. And that day of the Lord, in the Jewish mindset, this was going to bring justice and peace to the righteous. And it was going to bring exile and punishment to the enemies of God. This age to come would be an age of abundance. And it would be a time when the prophecies of old would be fulfilled, and then this age would continue then into eternity. Well, this rich young ruler, he ran up to Jesus, he knelt before him, and he said, Good teacher, what must I do to have a share of life in this age to come? Because he was a rich young ruler, it is likely that he would have expected the good teacher to respond to him as a rich young ruler, as other teachers would normally respond. Normally, if they came up across another rich person, influential person, that teacher would say something to the effect of, well, kind sir, thank you for asking. Let me tell you, you know, uh, my thoughts on the matter. All right, let's see how Jesus replies. He, (laughs) Jesus, Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. That's how Jesus replies to this guy. Oh, boy. You can tell right away this is not going to be the kind of response that this guy was used to getting from the teachers of his day. Jesus began by bringing focus to the word good. He brings focus to the word good. He says there's no one good except who? God alone. By doing that, he does at least two things. Number one, he brings the Trinity into play. Because if God alone is good, and this guy is saying good teacher... 
then what does that make Jesus, right? Number two, and more obvious, he gets this guy thinking conventional understandings of what, 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 what it means to be living the good life might not be as I thought they were. Jesus gets him to rethink what good living is and what a good life is. Let's keep reading verses 19 through 22. You know the commandments, Jesus says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. The rich young ruler said to him, teacher, all of these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, remember these words, they're going to come back. And Jesus looking at him, what does it say next? Loved him, looking at him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing, go, sell all you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, the rich young ruler went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. We just came across those three words that we focused on last week. Come, follow me. In each of the four examples that we gave last week, from each of the four Gospels, the good teacher invited people, when he said, come follow me, to take a costly step. In that time, in that place, wealth was understood to be a sign of God's blessing. Blessing. So why would Jesus say, give up something that is obviously a sign that God is with you? Why, why would he do that? What we're going to see is the, the way of Jesus isn't just costly. Sometimes it's confusing. Sometimes it's confusing. There's a number of scholars who speculate that this rich young ruler, he may have expected Jesus to just affirm him right on the spot, to affirm all those good choices that he was making. There's a good chance that the rich young ruler was expecting Jesus to say, well done, good job. You know, you have a place at the table in this age to come. If the rich young ruler was expecting Jesus to tell him something that he wanted to hear, then that rich young ruler is a lot like most of us. And there's a place to write this in your notes too. It is natural to seek confirmation for what we think we want or what others want. What I mean by that is most of us have an idea in our head of what God wants for us. And usually those are good things, right? And it'll be easy for us to look for support to say, oh yeah, God really does. He, he wants that thing that I want. He wants that for me too. And when it comes to those of us who've got compassionate hearts, you know, we can find ourselves sometimes like that parent in Target that gives in too early because we're like, wait, but God wants what you want too. But Jesus, he does this so often. He points us to the deeper desires. Came across a statistic this week. Between the years 1957 and 1990, when it comes to wealth, people's income doubled and in, in according to this stat, in real dollars, adjusted for inflation. So people had twice as much wealth in 1990, on average, as they did in 1957. Well, this is interesting. In 1957, the number of Americans who reported being, quote, very happy was about 30%. In 1990, with twice as much wealth coming in, the number of Americans who reported being, quote, very happy was about 30%. What we think, what we think will bring us deep and lasting joy 
doesn't always really result in bringing us deep and lasting joy. Well, we've been looking at the gospel of Mark, a different Mark. Mark Twain once said this about the Bible. He said, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. (laughs) What does he say? He says, it is the parts that I do understand. Oh, in the encounter that Mark, the Jesus follower, passed down to us, it's helpful to remember these three things. And there's a place to write these in your notes. This progression is so important. If you haven't written anything yet, I would, I would invite you to write this down. Jesus sees us. Jesus loves us. And he says things that will lead to the life we long for most. Jesus sees you. He sees you. He sees everyone. Jesus knows what it's like to be poor. He knows what it's like to be persecuted and tempted to feel all these things. He knows us better than we know us. And Jesus loves us. Greater love has no one than this that they would lay down their life for their friends. The hard things that Jesus says to us come from that place. Never forget that. Forget that. That when Jesus says a hard thing to us, it comes from that place of he sees you, he loves you. And anything that he says comes from that place. The first person I ever heard point this out, this whole, oh yeah, that's in there, sees, loves, says, was um, the former president of our denomination, Gary Walter. He he was doing a devotional on on this um, passage, and he was the first person I really had saw point that out. And I love that. That was one of the things that drew me to this remarkable family of churches called the Covenant. That's, that's, that's what we're trying to pursue, right? A, a, a community, a community where we see and we love before we say the hard things. Wouldn't that be a better way to live, right? Better community to be a part of where first you see and you love before you open your mouth to say a hard thing. I love that. Well, the rich young ruler, he appeared to already have what so many people on the planet are striving for. But Jesus saw he was lacking something. He was lacking something. And the next step in the right direction for him, it seemed so counterintuitive. After the rich young ruler walked away sad, Jesus doubled down. Let's go back to our text. Look at this, 23 through 25. Jesus looked around. This is right after the... the, Rich young ruler walked away sorrowful. Jesus looked around. He said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. Wow. Did I, I left that part about the camel out here, didn't I? Yeah, here it is. Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, when I was a kid, I remember hearing somewhere, somebody said something about how there was a a temple gate in Jerusalem called the eye of the needle and a camel could get through it, but a camel had to bow down low and get rid of its burdens, which sounds great in a sermon, but I tried to fact check that and the facts don't appear to check out. There may have been the closest thing I could find. There was one source that referenced a gate that may have been around in the medieval times. But in the time of Jesus, 
every source I looked at said, no, that, that's not what was going on here. In context, Jesus said, think of the animal that most of you have seen that is the biggest animal around. And think of the smallest opening that most of you have seen. A camel, it is harder for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than it is for the, a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That did not fit their cultural narrative. And you can see the confusion in here. Verses 26 through 27, they were exceedingly astonished. That, there's probably a term for that, right? When you just overkill your, your descriptions. He, he's an ex, he, they were exceedingly astonished. And they said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and he said, with man, it's impossible, but not with God. Amen. For all things are possible with God. Again, look at the language here. The disciples, and these are men who had been walking with Jesus in the flesh. They had seen some pretty exceedingly astonishing things. They were exceedingly astonished that Jesus asked the rich young ruler to give up something that their culture said is a blessing. Now, we don't know what it was about his wealth that made him walk away sad because he wasn't willing to, to do this. It might have been the status that it brought him. So it could have been a pride thing. It, it might have been the comfort that his wealth brought him. So it might have been a security thing. It might have been simply that he liked nice stuff. It might have been a pleasure thing. We don't know what it was about his wealth that made it so hard to let go of, but here's what we do know. Here's what we do know. As much as the rich young ruler saw himself as a commandment keeper, because that was his thing, right? I did that, I did that, I did that. Check, check, check. I am a commandment keeper. Which commandment was he rejecting when he walked away sad? He's rejecting the first commandment, right? In the Old Testament, as recorded in the Ten Commandments, which says, I'm the Lord your God. You shall have, what? No other gods before me. He was also rejecting the greatest commandment that Jesus taught us. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. There's a place to write this down in your notes. The first and the greatest of God's commands is to love, honor, trust, obey him above all else. Above all else. Let's go back to our text, verses 28 through 31. Peter began to say to him, hey, 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 see, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and also in the age to come, eternal life, eternal life. All right. This part of the passage that we just read here, that's the one I was tempted to even go here because this seems like, is that really true in this life? We set out to follow Jesus and we say no. And in this life, we get more people and more possessions. You know, then I look through the lens of Jesus. And I'm like, oh yeah, I was just seeing this through such a different paradigm. When I think of possessions, this stuff, I think of just the ones that I own, right? 
as we're going to find out later in this series, or as we're going to see later in the series, Jesus invites us into this much bigger family, doesn't he? With millions of people who are trying to follow Jesus. And we get a really small glimpse at camp, where apparently we go all the time, you know, um, you get a small glimpse of what that can look like. When this extended family of God comes together, we pool our resources and we have access to things that are beyond anything that any one of us could have on our own. Interesting. Now, when, when, when God cape, takes us deeper, what he's doing, he's inviting us to give up the lesser for the greater. That's what he's doing. When he takes us deeper and he says, give something up, you're giving up a lesser for a greater, even if it doesn't seem like that. And very early this week, I spent some time reflecting um, where this message was going initially is I was going to take some of these key areas and say, okay, what is that deeper longing when it comes to that area? What's the deeper longing there? What's the deeper longing here? What's the deeper longing here? What's the deeper longing here? Do you know what happened when I did that with everything that I could think of? The landing point was the same place as I went as deep as I could go. When I went until I couldn't, in my mind anyway, go any deeper, all of those deepest longings ended up in the same place. And there's a place right in your notes. Here's where I landed. Our deepest longing is for who? For God himself. And try this sometime. Try this sometime. Take any area and, and, and take that longing and follow that longing as deep as you can take it. Take something like accomplishment and success and you can hit layer, 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 layer. At the bottom isn't ultimately to hear well done, good and faithful servant from the one who sees everything and knows everything. Not someone who only sees so much, Right? Try it with security for those who long in a world with so much instability. You long for security. Take that down, down, down. Isn't it ultimately the greatest source of security? The one who has ultimate authority to give and take away. Do this with possessions. Do this with relationships. Um, Enneagram is a big thing, in, in, especially in Christian circles these days. Do it with your Enneagram type. What is the thing you long for most? Take it all the way down to the bedrock. The deepest of our deepest longings is for God himself. Those who follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we are led to a place where we find something worth losing everything else to gain. If you ever wondered why at our church, why, why we're trying to get um, the people who work on our team to, to capitalize pronouns for God, for God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Because we want to communicate clearly, he's not just another God to us. He's not just another God. Here's a quote that speaks to this whole idea. I agree with how Michael Bird puts it. Nero did not throw Christians to the lions because they confessed, quote, Jesus is Lord of my heart. It was rather because they confessed what? That Jesus is Lord of all. All. Meaning, Jesus was Lord even over the realm Caesar claimed as his domain of ultimate authority. 
Before we bring things to a close this morning, I, I want to share this thought with you. As I was out running, I was praying about these things, I was thinking about these things, this thought came into my head. And the thought is this. How, how cool is this? God commands us to fulfill what? Our deepest desire. I'm running, I'm like, I got to get home fast because I don't want to forget that one. God commands us to fulfill our deeper, deepest desire. And either you already all knew that, or you're really tired, or something, because that is amenable right there. It's amenable. <laughs> Think about that. He, he is commanding. How amazing is God? He is commanding. The first and the greatest commandment is to fulfill your deepest desire. To have your deepest desire your deepest longing fulfilled. He commands us to do that when he commands us to love him with his, our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Wow, wow, wow. And what a tragedy it is then when people stop their pursuit of abundant life too soon and they walk away sad when they could pursue a deeper joy that will continue in this age, the age to come, which extends into eternity. And here's the thing. This isn't just a man thing, a young man thing. I recently read an article. It was written by a young woman and she could have made that choice to walk away sad as she wrestled deeply with scripture. She came to the conclusion that God had placed a boundary around certain behaviors that she was drawn to. And as she pressed deeper into her desires, here's what her experience was in her own words. She said, at the very best, our yearnings can be a picture of God's yearnings, which pulse with goodness, energy, even holiness. His desire gives us a compass and sets the course for our desires. That means part of Christian discipline is learning to see him as he really is in his beauty and his worth. There is a narrow pathway between indulgence and repression. That is profound. Let me read that one again. There is a narrow pathway between indulgence and repression, but it involves carefully testing every desire against God and looking for him for direction over and over. Our desires whisper like a serpent in a garden that there is no death going against God's word. This serpentine tongue drawing us towards sin speaks a native language to each one of us and offers each a what? Say it with me. A tailored temptation. A tailored temptation. But there is good news, she goes on to write. Jesus is really more beautiful, more worthy, and more satisfying than anything else. No matter our temptations, no matter the patterns of desire, we press on to make this joy our own because Christ Jesus has made us his own. And she goes on to say this, in Christ, I have the power and also the what? The obligation to say no to temptation and yes to God. If you set out to follow Jesus, really follow Jesus, I guarantee you're going to have a walk away from God's sad crossroads. I guarantee it. Because one of the things that 
Jesus does when his spirit is in our lives, it convicts us and it takes us to these deeper places where we start to identify idols that we didn't even know we had. And we start to identify those places where we stopped too early and we didn't fulfill those deeper desires because we thought this is it. This is the pinnacle. Can I get an amen to that? He is constantly taking us deeper. And an important part of that is to identify idols that we didn't know we had and desires that we have deified. When this happens, when you're asked to give up something that you don't want to give up, press in. And when I say press in, I don't mean press in in in, in that dysfunctional way of, oh, this is something I really want to do, so God must hate it because it's fun. No, press in. Ask those hard questions. What is my deeper longing? Is my deeper longing for this thing that I think I long for most? Go there. Go there. I invite you to. Search out your deepest longing. Because I'm convinced that that deepest longing, it really is God. Follow those deeper longings home. That's the invitation we have for you this morning. And again, I love, love, love this image that we chose here for, for this Lent. The one that's on the, your bulletin covers, the, ones that, uh, is the one that's right behind me here with this doorway and another doorway and another doorway and another doorway. And they're not always going to be sequential for us, right? Sometimes a doorway that you came to long ago is one you know, that someone else came to earlier in, in their faith walk, but there's these series of these, these doors Here's the door that we're inviting you to walk through today. It's the same door that the rich young ruler came to. It's the same door that young, that young woman came to. And there's a place to write this down. You know, it's which side of the first and greatest commandment door are you on? Which side of it are you on? Are you on the, I'm not going through this, walk away sad? Or on the other side of, okay, here I go. Whew, here I go. Have you ever made the conscious decision to say, you are the Lord my God. I shall have no other gods before you. I will seek you with my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. And if you're not kind of sure about, well, maybe I have, maybe I haven't. Scott McKnight has an interesting thought that you might find helpful. He says this, he says, prayers are one of the surest locations to find a person's dreams. I'm going to repeat that one again. It's so rich. Prayers are one of the surest locations to find a person's dreams. Lent is this great opportunity for us to focus our prayers on truly seeking Jesus. Seeking him. And not all the things that we think we want. So let's pray that direction as the worship team comes up and seals us with a, seals us time with a, a song that speaks to this. And again, as we go to these hard places, remember, he sees you. He loves you. And any hard thing that he says comes from that place. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you that you're a good father. Who sometimes when we're just engaging in foolishness says, hey, put the lighter down. And then other times when it's not so simple and that longing is a deeper longing, you invite us to trust you even there. Lord, I pray for my friends gathered here in this room. 
And those of us who know you, we, we, we join in this prayer. We, we, Father, we pray that you'd help us to see you more and more. To see what that young woman experienced, this, this deeper understanding of your beauty, of your worth, of your goodness. Help us to see what the rich young ruler missed. That there is a way, and the way is you. You are the way, you are the truth, you are the life. Lord, this language, for those of us who've been around some churches, it just sounds so cliche. Father, we pray that you would help us to understand at a heart and mind level what it means that you are our deepest desire. And that you truly are worthy of letting go of everything else. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.